Well, again, hello, everyone. Uh, you know, this Christmas season this year, uh, one of the traditions is we would watch movies, and we watch a lot of movies. And one of our favorite movies has its 20th anniversary this year, which came out 20 years ago. And I thought about it because of this title, Messy Christmas. And the movie is called Miss Congeniality. I don't know if you guys are familiar with the movie or not. Sandra Bullock plays an FBI agent, you know. She plays an FBI agent. She's Miss New Jersey going undercover in a, in a beauty pageant, or should I say a scholarship program. And she's trying to find a, uh, somebody who's threatening and, and killing people. In this, uh, in this pageant, and she is like the messiest person, FBI agent, the least likely you'd think to enter into a beauty pageant, but she does, and one of the things she uncovers is, uh, is this really strange world. She's this rough and tumble FBI agent, and now she's entering into this world of all of these, you know, kind of like dainty and, and I would say, lack of a better term, girly, you know, beauty pageant, scholarship program contestants. And one of them that she meets is a, is a girl from, from Rhode Island, Miss Rhode Island, and she has one of the best lines ever in a movie. And every year on April 25th, my youngest daughter sends me a text. And she sends me a text because in the, in the movie, she's asked the question by William Shatner, the host. She's, he's like, describe your perfect date. And she says, well, that's difficult but I'd have to say April 25th because it's not too hot and it's not too cold. A light jacket will do. <laughs> right? And Sandra Bullock is just absolutely disgusted with, with these women. And, and, and she's really disgusted because they have this, this fantasy that world peace is possible. Right? And, and they get and they ask the question of all these contestants. They say, what is the one thing our society needs more than anything else? To which every single one of them says, world peace. So when Sandra Bullock gets her chance to answer the question and she's asked, what's the thing that this world needs more than anything else? She says, harsher punishments for parole violations, Stan. And the whole room is just silent. And she says, and world peace. And the room erupts and everybody's applauding and now she's like going off and she's just shaking her head at herself. And so the whole movie goes along and you wonder, will she ever come around? Will she ever come around? Is world peace really possible? Some would say, yes, it is. It's possible. But the way they say we get to it is kind of strange. In our society today, they say the way world peace, the way peace is, is attainable for us is that we would rid ourselves of any negative thoughts. Anything that would cause us stress, anything that would, would make us anxious, we would, we would get rid of, do away with. Don't, don't think on those things, and, and you won't be anxious. But that works to a degree. But what, what do you do when it's your job? or your spouse, or your children, what do you do then? You know, do you just keep changing jobs because every job makes you feel anxious, and so you just keep changing jobs? And, and, and one wise person always told me, he said, well, you know, wherever you go, there you are. Meaning, may, maybe you're the problem. What do you do then? What, what do you do when the anxiety is inside of you? Well, luckily, we have another idea of what peace, how peace is attainable. And it comes from the Apostle Paul from today's text. He said, I know the secret. I know the secret to being content in any and all situations. And Paul writes this letter from prison. 
He writes it after he's been beaten. He writes it after he's been stoned, after he's been ridiculed. And now he's in prison and he says, I'm content. I'm content in every, I know the secret. And we're like, what's the secret, Paul? What's the secret, Paul? And Paul says, it's peace. So maybe Miss Rhode Island knew more than, than we give her credit for. But again, it's, it's not the peace that you and I would, would think about, right? It's not this just forget, don't think about. No, it's something greater than that. So to under, better understand what Paul's talking about, this idea of biblical peace, let's watch this. The word peace is common in most languages. People can talk about peace treaties or times of peace. It means the absence of war. And in the Bible, the word peace can refer to the absence of conflict, but it also points to the presence of something better in its place. In the Old Testament, the Hebrew word for peace is shalom. And in the New Testament, the Greek word is erene. The most basic meaning of shalom is complete or whole. The word can refer to a stone that has a perfect whole shape with no cracks. It can also refer to a completed stone wall that has no gaps and no missing bricks. Shalom refers to something that's complex with lots of pieces that's in a state of completeness, wholeness. It's like Job who says his tents are in a state of shalom because he counted his flock and no animals are missing. This is why shalom can refer to a person's well-being. Like when David visited his brothers on the battlefield, he asked about their shalom. The core idea is that life is complex, full of moving parts and relationships and situations. And when any of these is out of alignment or missing, your shalom breaks down. Life is no longer whole. It needs to be restored. In fact, that's the basic meaning of shalom when you use it as a verb. To bring shalom literally means to make complete or restore. So Solomon brings shalom to the unfinished temple when he completes it. Or if your animal accidentally damages your neighbor's field, you shalom them by giving them a complete repayment for their loss. You take what's missing and you restore it to wholeness. The same goes for human relationships. In the book of Proverbs, to reconcile and heal a broken relationship is to bring shalom. And when rival kingdoms make shalom in the Bible, it doesn't just mean they stop fighting. It also means they start working together for each other's benefit. This state of shalom is what Israel's kings were supposed to cultivate, and it rarely happened. So the prophet Isaiah, he looked forward to a future king, a prince of shalom. And his reign would bring shalom with no end. A time when God would make a covenant of shalom with his people and make right all wrongs and heal all that's been broken. This is why Jesus' birth in the New Testament was announced as the arrival of Irene. Remember, that's the Greek word for peace. Jesus came to offer his peace to others. Like when he said to his followers, my peace I give to you all. The apostles claimed that Jesus made peace between messed up humans and God when he died and rose from the dead. The idea is that he restored to wholeness the broken relationship between humans and their creator. This is why the Apostle Paul can say Jesus himself is our Irene. He was the whole complete human that I am made to be but have failed to be. And now he gives me his life as a gift. And this means that Jesus' followers are now called to create peace. Paul instructed local churches to keep their unity through the bond of peace, which requires humility and patience and bearing with others in love. Becoming people of peace means participating in the life of Jesus, who reconciled all things in heaven on earth, restoring peace through his death and resurrection. 
So peace takes a lot of work because it's not just the absence of conflict. True peace requires taking what's broken and restoring it to wholeness, whether it's in our lives, our relationships, or in our world. And that's the rich biblical concept of peace. I love that word. Erene. You know, it's like a pretty cool word. And it's a pretty cool understanding of peace, something maybe different than you've heard before. Uh, maybe it's a little bit deeper, fuller understanding of peace. It's not just the absence of conflict, the absence of stress, the absence of anxiety. No, it's the understanding that something greater or someone greater is here. Someone who can actually help you through the stress, through the conflict, through the anxiety. And his name is Jesus. He is the Prince of Peace. And you would think that as Christians, having him as our Lord and Savior, we would be the most peaceful, fun-loving, and least anxious people in the world, wouldn't you? But that's just not true, is it? It seems like fewer and fewer of us are experiencing this biblical understanding of peace. So the question this morning is why? Why aren't we experiencing that completeness, that wholeness? Well, it's a good thing that as we look at this understanding of what it means to be anxious and what it means to be peaceful, we have the Apostle Paul who says he has the answer. In today's text, he says, I have the secret, I know it, and it's peace. And he begins this text by giving us this opening statement of, of why he knows it. And he says, because rejoice, rejoice, the Lord is here. It's like, don't ignore what's going on, rejoice in what's going on. Again, he says, rejoice, always. And you're like, really? That, that just seems strange in our time, that we would rejoice that COVID is here. But maybe he's got something, right? I mean, I listened to a podcast about a month ago, and as a guy was on the radio on this podcast talking about, he believed that this is the, the greatest evangelical opportunity that we have had in our lifetimes. Because this pandemic has affected so many people, disrupted so many lives, anxiety is rising, and there's never been a better time for the world to understand biblical peace. And we have that opportunity. But if we're going to share that peace with the world, we need to experience that peace within us. And so how, how do we do that? And, and luckily for us, Paul, I think, tells us the answer in today's text. And he starts out this way. He says, rejoice, always rejoice, right? For the Lord is near. But then he goes on to tell us, he says, don't be anxious. And, and if you're not careful, you can, you can read that and say, well, that just sounds another version of, like, don't think about that, right? Like, don't think about negative things. Don't be anxious. But it's, it's, it's deeper than that, of course, because this word anxious doesn't mean what it means in our modern-day terms. You know, modern-day anxious means to have this sense of worry, this unsettledness, this uneasiness. Right? But that's not the word that's being used here. The word that's being used here has a meaning that it goes, it carries like this. It's like being um, a divided mind. Paul's saying, don't have a divided mind. What does he mean by that? Right? It's like, think about this. It's like you say, ah, I got to go to work tomorrow. 
I really don't want to. I'd really like to quit smoking, but I can't because I really like it. You know, I, I, I need to lose weight. I need to exercise more, but, man, that couch is comfortable, right? And, and, and it causes all kinds of anxiety. I'd really like to go see people, but, man, this, 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 this COVID thing is, like, really, you know, it's stressing me out. And, and, and how do I get through that? My mind's divided because I want to do this, and I don't know which to do. And, and what do I do? Should I stay or should I go? Should I choose A or should I choose B? What do I do? And it's just a divided mind. I don't know how to make a decision. And there's all this anxiousness. And the answer, Paul says, is peace. It's this biblical peace. It's Jesus. It's, it's something that actually brings our mind back together, gives us this wholeness, which is why I have got Elmer's glue out here, by the way, right? It's sort of that reminder that we're going to hang Elmer's glue to remind us that it is actually biblical peace that heals our anxiety. What do you think the opposite of biblical peace is? Anxiety in the Bible, right? Wholeness is peace. Anxiety is divided. Not just within our own minds, but within people groups, within relationships. Right? We're divided. And so Paul says, no, 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 don't be double-minded. Don't be anxious. But here's what you do. Through prayer and your petitions, giving thanks Make your request known to God. With prayer, through your petitions, with thanksgiving, make your request known to God. And so he's not saying, like, he doesn't know until you tell him. No, it's like you need to express this. He's asking you to do this for your benefit, not for God's benefit. Right? And he's saying, in prayer, prayer is just talking to God. We can talk to God. Jesus has made that available to us. We don't need to go through anybody else, right? We don't need to go to, you know him getting that. We don't need to go through anybody else. We can go right to God because Jesus has made that way. And that's what Paul's saying. We can go right to God. And we can make our petitions. We can, we can say to him, this is what I desire. This is what I want. This is what I need. He says we can do that. And, and that we should do that. When we're anxious, that's exactly what we should do. We should go to him. Because he's the one, remember last week we talked about, is the unchanging one. He's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. He's the faithful one. He's the one that doesn't change. His promises are always faithful. And he says in Romans that God is working all things for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Do you get that? He's working all things for good. And you see that and you're going, well, yeah, but that's a hard time understanding how this pandemic or how what's going on in my life could actually be used for good. But think about it like this. If you were standing at the cross 2,000 years ago and you saw your Savior, your friend, your son crucified on a cross, you'd probably be saying, how could anything good come of that? But yet the greatest thing God ever did was on that cross for you. And Paul's reminding us that, that he's faithful, that he's, he's true. And Peter tells us in, in his letter, he says this. He says, humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty right hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. See, Peter's acknowledging, so is Paul. You're going to be anxious. We're human. We're broken. We live in this crazy world. There are things like pandemics and cancer. There are things like that that will upend you, but what do you do with that? Do you just stuff it? Do you just ignore it? No, he says you bring it to the Lord. And not just the big ones, He says, all of it. 
And you're thinking, like, what, like, like, really? Like, even what class I should take next semester? It's like, yeah. Like, well, well, really? Like, why? He's like, well, because I care for you. That's why. What father doesn't want their child coming to them and telling them what's going on? And I mean, I desire my kids to still today as adults share with me their anxious thoughts. I want to, I want to know, I want them to know that I'm with them. But it's more than that. It's just not that we know that God hears us. It's that we know that he hears us and he answers our prayers. And then you're probably thinking, well, wait a minute, he doesn't answer all my prayers. But I would say he does. And I think it's never more beautifully said than by Tim Keller, who says, you know, like when you pray for something and you don't get it, he says, remember this. He goes, this is what he envisions. He says, he envisions God saying, my son or daughter, when a child of mine makes a request, I always give that person what he or she would ask for if they knew everything I knew. He's reminding us that God is unchanging. He's faithful. He's just. He's loving. And that he's working all things for good, even though we can't see it, even though we can't understand it, even though it hurts and it causes anxiety. We can know and we can trust that he hears us and he's with us and he will do what is, what is good. And Paul says, when we do that, then the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. I want to I stop for a minute and kind of explain what he's saying. Because when you read that, you're just like, well, the peace of the Lord which surpasses. And, and in, my, in my translation, it says, transcends all understanding. And, you know, I used to always think about that as like, well, it's beyond my comprehension. But that's not what he's saying. That's not what he's saying here. He's, because we can comprehend the peace. We can feel the peace. You've encountered people in your life, and maybe you've encountered it yourself. When a loved one's died, when a loved one has died in your life, or something tragic has come on, or you're in the midst of COVID, and it's like, I have this grief, I have this anxiety, but there's a bottom to it. Right? There's a floor. There's something that's upholding me. And, and it's peace. Right? And, and what Paul is saying here is that your understanding... Your, your ability to reason away what's going on won't guard your heart. It's incapable. Only the peace of God can guard your heart. Do you hear what he's saying? The peace of God is greater than your understanding, meaning it's capable of doing what your understanding alone cannot do. It cannot guard your heart. It cannot keep you from despair. Only the peace of God that surpasses your ability to do that can keep you in the peace and support you. And you've encountered those Christians and who's, who's in the midst of just horrific grief. And we don't ignore it. We don't say, oh, it's not real. Oh, it doesn't matter, you know, because we're all going to heaven, you know, so just deal with it. No. No, he, he, he cares for you now. He doesn't want to see you live a life of despair because there's hope in Jesus, not just for future, but for now. And the way we are reminded of that and the way we deal with that is we take it to God and we cast our anxieties on him. We don't cast them on one another by throwing verbal you know, jabs at other people or shaking our fist or cutting them off in traffic or whatever it is. We don't cast our anxieties on others. We cast our anxieties on God because he's big enough to take it. And, he, and, and Paul says when we do that, peace that 
It surpasses all understanding. will guard our hearts and keep us from casting our anxieties on other people. But then he goes on and he tells us something that most books today don't tell you to do, right? Most books, when you think about peace, here, what they tell you to do is they give you these five easy steps or these seven steps to peace, and, or, they, or they never, ever tell you this. They never say, they never start out like this. They never say, what? Well, if you want peace, consider the deep questions of life, like where did you come from, why are you here, how should you live, and where are you going when you die? They never begin that way. They never say, ponder those questions deeply before you begin. No, they just give you here, step one, step two, step three, peace. And that's a much too simple answer for a much complex, for a, for a really complex problem. Right? And Paul says, so think. Right? He says, whatever is, whatever is true, whatever is pure, whatever is noble, whatever is righteous, whatever is just, Think on these things. Whatever is excellent, whatever is praiseworthy, think on these things. He's saying, think about it. Don't dismiss it. Think about what's going on in your life. And then remember, then think about God and his promises and his story and who he is. Because he is the truth. Every one of those descriptions in that text is a description of the other. For what is true is also lovely and pure and just as the others are all the others. It's a description and a reminder of who God is, to think about the implications of this life. Now, with Jesus Christ as your peace, think about the implications which says that this life is temporary. This isn't all there is, that there will be a day where he will wipe away every tear. That day will come. And to live with that eternal perspective, not just with an everyday perspective. It's not, this isn't all there is. You know, the, the author Richard Dawkins, the atheist, some call him the anti-theist because he's just out there spewing hate toward Christians and any person of faith. He said, people of faith are deluded. You're deluded in your own mind to think that there's some higher power out there that provides you meaning and purpose in your life. This life has no meaning. It has no purpose. This world is all there is, time plus matter plus chance. When this world is done, when the sun is extinguished, all life will end, everything is as if it never existed. So there is no meaning. But yet he gets questions from people and says, well, how can you live like that? And he answered one of those questions. And this is what he says. <laughs> he says, people say to me, how can you bear to be alive if everything is so cold and empty and pointless? Now listen carefully to what he says. Well, at an academic level, I think it is. But that doesn't mean you can live your life like that. What? Is, is that not a picture of an anxious, divided mind? It's like, I believe this, but I do this, right? I, I, I don't believe there's a God, but I'm going to live like there's a God because I can't bear to live up under what I believe. But think about the Christian who says life does have a purpose. There is a God, but then lives like there isn't one. Who lives like this is life is all there is. And I will do everything I can today because tomorrow we die. Another divided, anxious, deluded mind. Paul says, no, 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 no. 
It's Jesus Christ that's the answer to this wholeness. All right, that's why he goes on. He says, now, don't just like think on these things, but actually put them into practice, what God says, what Jesus says, what Paul says. Put it into practice. Because when you do, you'll experience his faithfulness. When you do, you're actually one mind, right? What you believe and then what you do, what your heart follows and what your mind follows is one thing. I believe Jesus is Lord and Savior of my life. I believe he is the Prince of Peace. I believe he has made me whole with God, and therefore my actions change, and they line up underneath my beliefs. It's when our actions are outside of our beliefs that we have this double-mindedness, this this divided mind, and this anxious life. Paul's saying if you want the true peace of God, then live as though he is God. And he said when you do that, It's not just the peace of God that you will have. He said, but the God of peace will be with you. Right? St. Augustine says this. He says, because God has made us for himself, our hearts are restless until they rest in him. In his teachings, in his character, in his unchanging character, we find our rest in him. We find true peace. If we're not experiencing peace, then we're not thinking, right? We're not praying. We're we're casting our anxiety on everybody else, and and, and we're we're not actually doing what God calls us to do. We're not actually making him Lord of our life as he is. And, And Paul's saying, well, no wonder you're anxious. But here's the answer. Cast your anxieties on the Lord. Go to him and think. Don't, don't ignore what's going on in your life because what's going on in your life is real. But think out the implications of your life. Think out the implications of your faith about who God is and that he's still in control and that he's working all things for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And when you do those things, Paul says, well, then the God of peace is walking right with you and you're going to experience something that, that you've longed for. You know, during this pandemic, you know, it, it, I hear it could be another six, nine months, maybe longer, before we get back to some sort of sense of normalcy. And I know within some, that creates a lot of anxiety. But this is an amazing opportunity. I really believe there's never been a greater evangelistic opportunity in our lifetimes to bring true peace to the world. His name is Jesus. And we have the answer to world peace. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, we do give you thanks and glory and praise for King Jesus. And we pray to you this morning acknowledging that he's oftentimes not the king of my life, the Lord of my heart. In order to do that, Father, I have to unseat myself and so I pray this morning asking for your forgiveness, and, but at the same time, your word and your spirit reminds me that I have been forgiven, that I've been made whole, that I've been declared righteous. Father, create in me a clean heart. Renew that steadfast spirit within us. May we go forth from this place today, shining your light into this dark world with the peace of Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.